It is good to see all of you tonight. Thanks for being here. I know it, like I said, it was a little bit extra effort, but thank you. We're not going to cancel Wednesday night. I just, just want you to know that. So. Even if we had one or two people here, we'd still be here. So, We are now in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I think we're just going to get through about the first six verses tonight. But we're coming, I think, to a really, really uh, key part of the, of the book. Because he's going to really start talking about spiritual growth and principles of spiritual growth, which you know that is our, that's what we're all about here at the Oasis, is our spiritual growth. But before he does that, he sort of leads into that by saying that we as God's people need to rise to the occasion that God has informed us that there are challenging times ahead and He is doing everything He can through His Spirit and through the Word of God to prepare His people for the challenges ahead so that we can rise to the occasion. In fact, you see that here in 1 Timothy 4.1 where Paul says to Timothy, now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, occupying themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. So notice he is characterizing that in the latter days, there will be a time of departure and there will be much deception going on. And therefore, you and I need to be aware of this and again, rise to the occasion that we're going to find ourselves in. Now remember too that the The teaching here in chapter 4 is based on the context of chapter 3, what we talked about last week, about the church of the living God being that support and bulwark of the truth. And about how that truth is seen both in the teaching of the church and in the worship of the church because we looked at a song last week that had much good theology in it about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is saying to us really today, just as he's saying to this young pastor Timothy, Timothy, keep your church focused on the truth, both in your teaching ministry and in the worship of the church. Keep them focused on the truth because the Spirit of God is explicitly telling us that there will be so many people who within the church will depart from the truth and give heed to these deceiving spirits. That's why the church needs to really, you know, be grounded, grounded in the truth and be grounding one another in the truth for that reason. So let's begin at chapter 4, verse 1 and just... Take this slowly because there's so many good things in here. First of all, he says, the Spirit explicitly says. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit in no uncertain terms has made himself very clear. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And I think what God wanted me to be reminded of is, then I need to make sure that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am always listening to the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God will either be speaking to me directly, 
He will either be using the Word of God to, as Jesus said, guide me into all truth. But the Holy Spirit who lives within us is always seeking to guide us into truth, to teach us, to to make us aware of things. And, And we need to make sure that we are in tune with the Spirit and that we're listening to what the Spirit is saying to us. Even today. I believe that every one of us probably had at least one time during the day where the Holy Spirit of God within us was trying to get our attention and speak to us about something. And so, obviously, we need to make sure that if we're going to rise to the occasion and meet the challenges of the days in which we live as God's people, that we need to be listening to the Spirit as He, in no uncertain terms, makes Himself very clear. And then Paul uses the term latter times. Now, obviously, this term is not speaking about just a few days before Jesus returns, but really does sort of embody a large portion of history. But what the Bible does teach is as you and I go down through history and we get closer to the return of Christ and the rapture of the church, things are not going to get better they're going to continue to deteriorate and get worse. And part of what you and I are going to face as the people of God, Paul says, and he said this even to Timothy 2,000 years ago, is that some will desert the faith. They will abandon the faith. They will fall away from the faith. They will stop listening to biblical truth. Because When he uses the the terms the faith with the definite article the, he's not speaking about faith as far as our active response to God, like having faith. When the definite article the is before faith, that is referring to sort of the essential Christian teachings that are embodied in the Word of God. And so what Paul is saying is there is going to come a time where there's going to be an increasing number of people who even from within the church will desert the teaching of truth. Now again, remember, tie that into the end of chapter 3, where the church is supposed to be the support and the bulwark of the truth. We're supposed to be teaching the truth. We're supposed to be worshiping in the truth. We're, We're supposed to be grounded in the truth because some people are going to fall away from the truth. That even as they are instructed in the truth, there's going to come a point where instead of continuing to saturate their minds with the truth and focus on the truth of God's word, the faith, notice what will happen. They will begin, Paul says in verse 1, to occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. One of the things that Paul's teaching here is this. Our soul is a vacuum. And if you and I are not filling our soul with good things, with the truth, if you will, the truth that sets men free, as Jesus says, and we just sang about the freedom that we can have in the Spirit and in the truth. If we're not filling our soul with the truth, then automatically we make ourselves susceptible and vulnerable 
to all the deception and false teaching that's out there. And notice Paul says that one of the main uh, sort of agents of all of this is the fallen angels. That's what he refers to when he says deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. He says that the, the angels who fell with Lucifer are going to be a big part and, and they're going to be behind us. They're always constantly out there going to throw out what is counterfeit or what is false to the truth. And that's why even you and I have, have, have got to come to grips with the fact that, and we're going to see this in just a minute, where there's, there is no time in my Christian life where I can say, well, I've come up to now this point in understanding the faith, if you will, and have this much knowledge of the truth, but that's all the further I need to go. That, that I, I can stop growing, I can stop learning, I can stop making progress and all that, because as soon as you and I go down that way, then we, because our soul's a vacuum, and if we're not filling it with God's Word, we're automatically going to be susceptible to the deceiving spirits and demonic teachings that are out there. And so again, that goes back to why it is so key that the church of the living God be the support and bulwark of the truth. That's what we need to focus people on and keep them focused on at all times and encourage them to get into the truth so that we do not allow ourselves to become a spiritual vacuum that other things can flood into. Then he goes, these fallen angels, in verse 2, are going to use as their instruments these people. People who have been influenced by the hypocrisy of liars. They are basically actors who are playing a part and wearing a mask and they are spreading lies, Paul says. But they are really the instruments of the false or of the fallen angels whose consciences have been seared. They become unfeeling and cold, if you will. And they are susceptible then to all of these really strange teachings that do not line up with the Word of God. Which is why when we studied 1 John, John says, make sure you test the spirits because there's going to be spiritual entities behind everything that is taught. And we can either trace everything back to God or to Satan. So that's, then he goes on into verse 3 and he tells us in his day what were some of the false teachings. Now, obviously, in our day, they won't necessarily be the same things. He's simply saying, make sure that you don't swallow these false teachings. In his day, they prohibited marriage. Now, we know, did not God create men and women? And did not God create the institution of marriage? Yeah. But these false teachers come along and say, nope shouldn't be married, it, you'd actually be more spiritual if you weren't, and all these things. And then he says they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So not only are they saying, oh, don't get married, then they're saying, oh, and if you want to really be spiritual, don't eat that, and don't eat that, and don't eat that. And Paul's saying, if God created it, now again, 
not to get into this too much, we're not talking about processed food here. We're talking about food that God created. And basically what Paul's saying, if God created it as food to be taken in to sustain our lives, then it's good. It doesn't mean we should eat, you know, as much as we want of it. But it certainly doesn't mean that we should abstain from eating it if God created it to be eaten. Now, obviously, these are clear. These seem like, well, duh, I wouldn't buy into that. But Paul's saying, is if, if we at any point stop filling our minds and hearts with the truth, we will become susceptible or vulnerable to some kind of false teaching out there. And again, Paul's just using this as an example. I want to I comment on a couple things here, though, in verse 3. This is the first time, and he's going to say it again, how important it is to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude. Notice he says, if God created these foods to be received, then let's receive them with thanksgiving. One of the ways that we can rise to the occasion as believers is not only to be in a church where we are being taught the truth and where we individually are are saturating our minds with the truth, but where we wake up every day as thankful followers of Jesus Christ, where we are expressing our gratitude to God. And notice here, and I might be a little nitpicky here, I I don't mean to be, but notice here that Paul in this passage is not saying that we should ask God to bless the food. If God created it to be received, it's already been blessed by God. What we are thanking God for is that the food exists and it's there for us to take it in and receive it, you see. God has already blessed it, if you will, by creating it to be eaten. And then he says this phrase, very important. He says, all of this will happen this way for those who believe and know the truth. And there's that truth again. Now, in the Greek language, the thing that comes first is emphasized, but I want to then start with the second, the knowing of truth. Paul is saying here in this phrase, This is another way that you and I as believers in Christ can rise to the challenges of our day. First of all, by knowing truth. The word know here is to know very accurately and to know by personal experience and to be thoroughly acquainted with something. So Paul is saying it is up to us as Christians to make sure that we are knowing the truth, that we are becoming thoroughly acquainted with the truth of God. And to the point where we are knowing it accurately, you see. That there is a precision, if you will, to our knowledge. Because we are up close to it. We're not trying to see it, the truth of God, from a distance. We're up close and we're examining it up close so that we can see even the details in it. To know it to that level. That's the kind of knowledge Paul is calling us to here. That's pretty important. But even after that, he says, we also not, 
not only need to know the truth, we need to always be believing the truth. And that's something, again, that never stops in our Christian life. The word believe here means to to continue to trust in and place our confidence in this truth. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to believe it. To be loyal to the truth, if you will. And that then circles back around to where Paul started in his chapter about some will depart from the faith and desert the faith. Not because they didn't know the truth, but maybe there came a point in their Christian life where they stopped believing the truth. Where in a very practical way, though they knew what the truth was, at that moment they were not trusting in it. They were not resting in it. They were not placing their confidence in it. And that's so important. That's something that we never stop doing as a Christian. We've always got to continue to believe in the truth that we're getting to know more accurately and and acquainting ourselves with more. Because again, so many Christians focus on maybe coming to a greater knowledge of the truth. And knowing even God's word more accurately and precisely. But that's only half of the equation. Then God calls on us to take what we know and rest in it. To take what we know and trust it. To take what we know and place our confidence in it. And that's why this phrase in verse 3 is so key. To those who believe and know the truth. Again, all this is built on the end of chapter 3, where the church of the living God is to be the place where we find the truth and where we as Christians can go to continue to be grounded in the truth. So then he moves on. Verse 4. For every creation of God is good It's excellent, in fact, is what the word means. And no food is to be rejected or refused if it is, again, received or taken in with thanksgiving. Gratitude to God. God, thank you. Thank you for providing this. Notice two times in these four verses, Paul has talked about receiving what God gives us with thanksgiving, with grateful hearts, with gratitude to God. That's why developing a life of praise and worship and all of that is so important because it, it, it is a way for us to, to build into our lives a thankfulness, a counting of our blessings, to be reminded of who God is and all that God has done for us and to not let one day go by without thanking God for the big things, the little things, and the everythings. That's what Paul is saying here. And so that's really important that you and I just learn to develop a habit of being thankful for all that God has done. For he goes on to say in this regard, it, this food that God has given us, is literally sanctified. It is regarded as special by God's word and by our prayer of acknowledging that this has come from God. 
And this is a gift from God. You think about it. Even the food that we eat, the things that we drink, should be regarded as special. Because God made it for us and He's giving it to us as a gift to even sustain our physical life. That's why Paul even reminded the Corinthians, even what we eat and we drink should be done to the glory of God. How does eating and drinking, how is that done to the glory of God? When we acknowledge God in it and when we thank God for it. When you and I can learn to do that at that level of our lives where where we're thanking God for even the little things that so often can sort of slide by, if we're thanking Him for those things, those basic things, then probably we'll end up thanking God for the greater and bigger things. And that's what's so important, Paul says, is to let's develop that in the church. Let's make sure that as a church, the church of the living God, and that's important, the church where God is very active, and and again, He's manifesting His presence and power. If that be the case, then we should be building a group of people who are very thankful and grateful and expressing gratitude to God at all times. Which again goes back to the importance of the Word and our worship in our lives. And then Paul gets very specific to this young pastor, Timothy, here. He says, Timothy, here is your responsibility as the pastor-teacher of this church. You need to point out such things to the brothers and sisters. Literally, it means you need to lay these things before the brothers and sisters. Place these things before them so that they can see them. And notice, I think this is really interesting, and for me... This is something that I need to be reminded of. He doesn't say, shove this truth down the throat of your brothers and sisters. See, that's, that's the style of some teachers, Bible teachers. No. He says, look, again, you and I can't change other people's hearts. We can't, we can't get other people to a certain place. And that's not on us anyway. What is on us is simply to point the way. And that's why I love what the net here does with the original. It says, just point them to there. Then what they do with it, how they respond to it, and all of that, that's, that's between them and God. And that's what God does in our lives, in a sense. He, he's not going to force us, but what He will do... He'll come along in our lives and He will lay out and prepare a king's feast and say, there, Jeff, I prepared a feast for you. You interested? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see. And so God just lays it out there for me. Will I take it? Will I consume it? Will will I absorb it? Will I apply it? But God won't force it. He just lays it out. And that's what a pastor teacher is to do for his people. I am simply to point you guys in the right direction, in a sense, and say, this is where God is, this is where he wants us to go. This is what I'm laying out before you. But then God's Spirit we'll begin, as we go back to verse 1, to expressly speak into our lives 
and take then the truth that we are getting and, and begin to speak to us in no uncertain terms about the things that he wants to talk to us about, you see. And that's good for all of us to remember, not just pastor teachers. Because all of us sometimes, we may be engaged with another brother or sister in Christ. And what's the most effective way to try to, say, share God's principles? Just lay it out there. Don't try to cram it down their throat. That's not going to work. Don't try to force it on them. Just place it before them in some way. Lay it out there for them. You see. And then what they do with it, that's between them and God. But then notice what he goes on to say. He says to this pastor, you then will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So notice to me what that's saying to me is that my number one responsibility before God as a pastor teacher is to lay out God's truth to God's people. That should be what I'm most focused on. I can be focused on a lot of things as pa- and, and pastors can get focused on a lot of things. But to me, the Bible is very clear. God wants me to feed his sheep. And that's what I need to be focused on, you see. That's how I'm serving the Lord and serving you is by diligently studying the word and then laying it out for you, you see. And, and God wants all of us, though, to do that. God wants us to take his word in so that we can point out his word to others and lay it out to others as well. Which is why these principles, in a sense, that Paul is sharing with this young pastor Timothy is not just something that should be applied to pastors. It's something that should be applied to every Christian. Which is where we get to the next one, where he says, having nourished yourself on the words of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Now, we're going to end at this verse tonight, but there's so much here that I want to share before we end. First of all, he is saying this to this pastor. He's saying, you realize that the most important thing for you is to maintain a good spiritual diet. Because that's why I love the word again that the net chooses here, nourished. Paul is saying, how can we nourish others? How can we refresh others? How can we bless others with the word if we're not taking in a steady spiritual diet ourselves? We all have to be nourished on the word of God. You see. I love what Peter says when he compares craving the Word of God with that pure spiritual milk like a baby does. Like when that baby is hungry, man, all they want to do is eat. And Paul's saying, shouldn't we have that same, or Peter is saying, shouldn't we have that same craving, that same hunger for the Word of God, you see? And that's why I love pastoring you folks, because... There's so many here at the Oasis that they have that hunger and that thirst for the Word of God. And they want to continue to nourish themselves 
to, to build up that spiritual diet so that we go, as the writer of Hebrews says, from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. And where we're not just then, you know, taking in, in a sense, spiritual baby food, but where we can literally sink our teeth into some steak, some spiritual steak, and chew some things, and chew on some things. That's part of growing and maturing as a Christian. And so I love that nourished. Again, it goes back to that whole concept about part of God's Word is this great feast that God lays out before us every day and says, I prepared this feast for you. Will you come and dine? Will you come and feed on my Word so that you can be nourished? Just like physically. If we take in junk food and we take in things that aren't very nutritious or good for us, our body physically will pay the price. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you don't take in good, solid spiritual food, you will pay for it spiritually. And again, obviously, he's saying to the pastor here, you want your church to feed on good spiritual food. But he's also saying this to all of us. He wants all of us to be engaged in nourishing ourselves. And notice also the words having nourished. In the original language, this is an ongoing thing that never stops. Again, I am continually in that state of, in a sense, educating myself and growing in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Word, and becoming more thoroughly acquainted with the truth, and knowing it more precisely and accurately. Always nourishing myself. But then notice something else. Notice what he says, having nourished yourself. And I'm going to jump into something we're going to talk about next week, but I want to show you the parallel here. Notice then in verse 7, he talks about training yourself. He goes from spiritual diet in verse 6 to spiritual exercise in verse 7. But notice the word yourself in both of those instances. And the reason I bring that up is because that's a very important pronoun. Because Paul is also saying to the pastor and to all the people that we must also take personal responsibility for our spiritual health and well-being. That even though it is the pastor's responsibility to make sure that he is prepared to teach the people and that the church of the living God is the place where there should be truth taught and where truth is, is front and center of our worship and the word that it's not anyone else's responsibility for my spiritual health and well-being. Primarily, where I am spiritually is my responsibility. And that's why Paul says in this passage, nourish yourself, learn to feed yourself and not always depend on others to feed you and train yourself. It's not up to others to get me into the spiritual gym and work out every day spiritually applying these truths. It's up to me. I mean, yes, again, as we've talked about even on Sunday, it's great to be part of a community of believers, a tight-knit, close-knit community of believers. And in that community of believers, we're going to hopefully be encouraged 
and supported and helped. And there should be that mutuality and reciprocality in all of that. But at the end of the day, there's got to be self-motivation. Because there's only going to come a level where I can only rely on others to motivate me so long and so deeply, and then eventually it's got to come out of me. I've got to be motivated myself. That's why, for instance, you know, I've said this before, I'm not going to, like, beg people to come to church. Because that only works for so long, even if... even if somehow they come for a couple weeks out of guilt or feeling like, you, you know, feeling bad. Well, how long does that last? doesn't last very long, does it? You can't sustain that. And, and even if I called up somebody on Saturday night, are you going to be in church tomorrow? And I called them up for a couple weeks. I mean, how long is that before finally it's like either they're going to come on their own accord or not? And that's what Paul's saying here. Yes, we need to encourage one another. We need to support. We need to help. But at the end of the day, the thing that's going to be there day in and day out and sustain me over the long haul is when you and I both, or each other, take personal responsibility for our spiritual health and well-being. That's most important. And that's why the pronoun yourself in this passage is so important. And then I'll end with this tonight. In verse 6, he says, Having nourished yourself on the words of the faith, there again is that phrase, the, the, the teachings of the word, and of the good teaching, the spiritually valuable instruction that you have followed. That's the last thing I want to talk about tonight. So Paul's saying, look, it's got to be the right stuff that you're nourishing yourself on. The, the, the things of the faith and, and the things that are good teaching. Don't eat the spiritual junk food. Make sure that you are eating the, the stuff that's good spiritually for you, valuable, and that will help propel you forward and help you grow. But the other aspect of that is to continually follow it. And what this word means is that once I have, in a sense, and I'm going to use this because it's, it's what this word means. Once I have my spiritual map in front of me, I've got to carefully and continually consult that map at all times. That's what it means to follow this good teaching, if you will. Think of it, think of the word of God that you and I are learning and growing in as this spiritual map that God has given us to navigate our lives. And Paul's saying, again, it doesn't do us as Christians any good to have this great map that could get us through the jungles of life and have it packed away somewhere out of sight, out of mind. Even though it's got all the direction in it to help us get through the pitfalls and, and you know, the, the quicksand and all of that. What I must do is I must continue to consult it and look at it at all times and, and derive, if you will, my direction and, and all of that from this spiritual roadmap that God gives me. That's what the word followed means. 
again, it's why you know you could compare it to our spiritual GPS. It's like Paul is saying to Timothy and to his church and to all of us today, you know, don't take your eyes off of this. Continue to allow it to guide you every step of the way. Don't get to a place where it's like, yeah, I think I know this pretty well. I'll just lay that aside and then I'll start trusting in something else. No, Paul is saying, no, we follow it. We always consult it and go back to it. Which again, then now again, coming full circle, won't that help in making sure that we do not allow ourselves to become vulnerable or susceptible to all of the deceiving spirits and demonic teachings that are going to be prevalent in the world in which we live. It is only when you and I are nourishing ourselves on the faith and the good teaching that we are willing to follow. Paul is laying out for Timothy so that he can lay it out to his church. This is how the people of God will rise to the occasion of the challenges in the latter days. Because remember, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, In the last days, difficult times will come. And literally, that word difficult means that even Christians, if they're not careful, will have a very hard time coping with the way things are in the world if we don't prepare ourselves for the days in which we're going to live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth that you give us. And God, may we be a growing group of consecrated worshipers. Those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Those who are continually nourishing ourselves in the truth. Because God, we have been reminded tonight that when you created us, you created us with this soul that is a vacuum. And if we're not filling our lives with you, And with your word, we will automatically become vulnerable and susceptible to any and all things besides you and your word. And that's why it's so important that even as Solomon says in the Proverbs that you remind us that the Lord can fill the appetite of the righteous. God, you created us with a hunger. You created us with an appetite, and that appetite should be filled with you. But so often, God, in our lives, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we try to fill that hunger and that appetite with so many other things than you. Help us to see tonight, God, that we need to make you and the worship of you and your word what we nourish and feed our hungry souls on. Jesus, you even said, I am the bread of life. And those that that take me in, 
will never be hungry. God, fill your people tonight with your spirit and with your word. Fill our souls up, God, so that we can be full of you and not be susceptible to anything else. Thank you, God, for these folks especially that came out tonight. God, would you bless them and take them home safely and give us a great day in you tomorrow. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next week.